Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Ultra Hope Girls, a Danganronpa podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the third case of the first game. So, a warning that this will spoil... Trigger Happy Havoc, Chapter 3. So, throughout this podcast, we've taken the game case by case and discussed everything up to here, so we won't spoil anything for this game beyond this chapter, but play along with us at home, and um, let's get started. I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. And I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. One. Two. Welcome to the Dong and Rumpa Podcast. You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. All right. So for this case, chapter three, just a recap that this is a case where Celeste manipulates Hifumi into killing Taka, and then Celeste kills Hifumi herself. All right, so welcome back, everybody. This is exciting. This is an interesting case. Um, it is. For sure. A lot to cover. So why don't we, I just have the first thing, like, that happens events-wise, being Hina, like, finding Alter Ego. I mean, Alter Ego was a really interesting addition. I honestly had no idea where they were going to take the game. Um, when Hina said, I saw a ghost, I was like, uh, <laughs> this will be interesting. But I mean, um, AI, like Alter Ego, is actually a really symbolic piece to the game. Um, we kind of talked about it in our last episode, but it does kind of bring Chihiro and the message that Chihiro promoted back into the game post his death. Yeah, that I, I, it's the idea of the alter ego, I think is kind of a huge theme for this entire chapter. And this is jumping ahead a little bit, but it kind of made me think of it that it's like, you have Chihiro's alter ego, which is this AI program. Toko also has an alter ego, which is Genocide Jack or Genocide Jill. And then we also learn in this chapter that Celeste has an alter ego. Technically, Celeste, Celestia Ludenberg is her alter ego. Her real name is Tayako Yasuhiro. And so there's this, um, I think there's this recurring theme in this chapter of like different identities. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that. Oh my gosh, I actually never really made that connection. Um, And also I I like to add on to that, like I think that alter ego, like I I mentioned this in the last episode, but I couldn't really go into a ton of detail just because alter ego had not been introduced at that point. But Chihiro's presence, um, even though he has died, it's like he's reborn and there's like a lot of like biblical motif in that um there's a lot of like symbolism with like him being something that they can all believe in and have faith in which has not really happened yet in this game um yeah i also think it's interesting to note how each of the characters views alter ego um specifically taka and hifumi um because taka views um alter ego as mondo which is a whole thing on itself but i really noted how hifumi takes in alter ego and he views the ai system as a normal girl and that reminded me um in when they're getting the motive for this case in the game actually it might be the anime um but they walk into the gym and toko and byakuya are already there and they're like hey uh genocide jack is gone and she's like um and Byakuya says that when she sneezes, she turns back into Toko. And Hifumi says, that cliche is tottering on the borderline. And Toko says, you're mighty borderline yourself. And she's talking about borderline personality disorder when she says that. Um, and I think that that is kind of shown through how 
Hifumi views the AI because he has an intense fear of an abandonment. He goes to extreme measures to avoid real or imagined separation and rejection. He has impulsive behavior, mood swings, inappropriate behavior. And while Toko uses it as an insult and that is wrong and mental health should never be used as an insult, I think that it's really interesting if you take it in more of a literal way that he might kind of have some of those tendencies. That is really interesting that you bring that up. I was going to ask like, oh, like borderline personality disorder, like what is she referring to? But I guess um, I have, I had never thought about how it like that. I mean, I can see how some of those traits match Hifumi. I don't know if I would go so far as to say I think that Hifumi has borderline personality disorder, but that's interesting food for thought. Yeah, I definitely, I agree. I would not diagnose him with that if he were my patient, but I do think he has some (laughs) tendencies there. And so I think Toko seeing that and being able to form that kind of like perceptive insult is kind of really like whack, wild. I don't know the right word. (laughs) There's something also to be said about the fact that she is a writer and the way that she views people's personalities and the way like writers view like how a lot of stories are written so that the characters drive the plot. I think that that speaks a lot to her perception of people around her as well. Absolutely. In the anime, the other thing I had about the AI is that the um, alter ego is the one who shows the group the picture um, of Mondo, Chihiro, and Leon. Um, Whereas in the game, you find it in the physics lab. But I thought that was interesting. I think we could probably bring that up now. um, Yeah. Sure. I think um, before that, I do just want to say, like, this, and I think this goes into that as well. This is the first trial. Like, the first time it happened, I was like, you know, obviously it's very sad and devastating, but this is the first one that's come where after it happens, everybody is so depleted. Like, there is hope lost. This has now become a pattern. Someone has died that is pure and, like, good. And, like, that, like, not that Sayaka like was bad necessarily but like we cared about Shihiro more than Sayaka um and so this is like the moment where everything I feel like is sinking in for the people playing the game it's like oh yeah this is like very sad what's happening right now I kind of wanted to bring up um if it's not too late Taka after Mondo's execution because he I mean this poor guy I I kind of think he has a little bit of post-traumatic stress going on because he just I mean he goes from being like the loudest of the group to complete just silence, not talking at all. And that can be a sign of, of PTSD, actually. And I think that, and especially seeing his like huge, huge, huge like transformation after seeing Alter Ego present the, the form of Mondo to him and that drastic, drastic change in behavior. And even in his own identity, he, he you know, he calls himself like Kiondo. Like he's like, I'm not Taka anymore. I'm like a fusion of, Taka and Mondo and for me that kind of yeah I I think I think he's got some PTSD going on there's definitely some something there that poor guy I also think that he kind of broke his personality because think of his ultimate ability I know I mentioned this in a past podcast um, but this is the first time that Taka has ever considered the gray in the last trial he voted for himself over voting for the person who committed a crime. And that is the opposite of what Taka stands for. And so I think to a point, he can no longer be Taka. You know, like yeah. we, he, he is no longer the ultimate moral compass. He has made an immoral decision. And that literally changes him. 
Wow. Yeah. So maybe what we can do um, is, is there have been a lot of clues that have appeared at the first part of this chapter about maybe something bigger going on than just within the confines of the school. Do we want to like talk about like clues that we have found that may hint to something going on? Sure. Okay. Um, So with the picture, it's a picture of Mondo Chihiro and Leon and they're all jamming together, having a great time. (laughs) It's actually really cute. Um, Yeah. It feels. Um, I guess, how did you guys first perceive that picture when, when you first saw it? Like, did you think it was fake like the students did? Did you um, think it was real? I mean, how did you come up with an explanation for it? Or were you unable to? Were you kind of like, we'll just have to come back to this? I, I watched the anime. And so the way I ingested that was not from a perspective of like trying to figure out what's happening. Um, I think I thought that, you know, that at that point when I saw that, I was like, oh, that could have just been photoshopped or created. I think that's probably what I thought. I definitely didn't think it was photoshopped. Like, Monokuma is manipulative and everything, but I didn't think that he would go so far as to just completely fake something like that. Yeah. For me personally, I wondered if the group hadn't actually died, those people, Um, Mm. which is like, really true to my optimistic character like I was like wow maybe they're still alive maybe we'll really get to see Chihiro again and I was like wow like this could be great you know um yeah that's kind of how I took it when I first saw that picture yeah yeah so we also get the um Monokuma mentions when we're exploring the rec room that there will be no new magazines that's a an interesting observation um we get that the ultimate physicist died during, quote, the tragedy. That's all I really have, um, if any of you all want to add anything in. I just noticed something that I never really thought about when I was first playing the game, but now I'm just like, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Why is there not a camera in the locker room? Doesn't that seem like a kind of large oversight? There were a lot of oversights that I picked up in this chapter like of like the structure of this feeling a little messy and like it's like the cracks are starting to show yeah ironically we also see the cracks in celeste's character start to show um yeah in the same chapter but um yeah i don't know i actually kind of have a reason um i don't think that's an oversight uh think about monokuma and how Monokuma reacts to boys peeking on girls and girls peeking in on boys. He That's has true. a very strict rule about, like, you know, being kind of gentlemanly. Um, and I know you might think, like, oh, well, there's the part in this where he's like, guys, like, don't you want to go peek in on the girls while they're taking a bath? And he's like, oh, darn. But Monokuma's a chaotic person. I think that he actually does stand for having a little bit of boundaries between the guys and the girls. I mean, these are high school kids, you know, they're probably not old enough to consent. And I think that they kind of stay true to that. And I think Monokuma is just trying to push people towards doing the wrong thing whenever he can. So I actually don't think the lack of a camera in that room is an oversight I actually think that that was very purposeful interesting yeah Yeah. it is like the bathrooms don't have cameras either so it's also like the like bathroom yeah okay but their bedrooms do which is is weird but not the bathroom in their bedroom that's true yeah Monokuma has a line that he isn't gonna cross he's like I can execute children but I I I draw the line at peeking on children going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> what a gentleman, really. <laughs> Some interesting morals there. <laughs> also, yeah. I know, really. Um, I just wanted to bring this up very briefly. I just wanted to talk about how incredible Chihiro is because he literally took a beat up old laptop and created an artificial intelligence within it from scratch in a matter of what days inside the school. He like saw all the files on the computer and was like, yep, like I need to create my own AI to get all through these files. And and he just did from scratch on a beat up old laptop. Easy. What a guy. Love him. All right. Do Do we we have anything before the motive? So there was a quote that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit, and it's a quote about Kyoko. And it's after she is offering to keep her door cracked open so she can hear Alter Ego in the night. She's like, "Um, I know that that might make me a target, but I won't go down without a fight. And the quote says, um, there was an undeniable strength in her voice when she said that. She was totally confident she would be okay. That That confidence was somewhat similar to Byakuya's tone, but at the same time different. Like someone who'd been dropped onto a battlefield versus someone who'd been born on a battlefield. I loved that quote. I, I also almost wrote it down. I mean, that Makoto nailed it, you know. I do think it kind of implies something about Kyoko in her past, which we really don't know much about. Um, but it makes her resourceful. It, it, it kind of implies that she might be one of the most resourceful people in this group, which I don't think is a surprise. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, you, so we want to start talking about the motive? Let's do yes. it. All right, so the motive was money, um, 10 million yen. And I did the math. Um, one yen is 0.0093 US dollars, which is $93,000. So they are killing for $93,000. And I thought that was really interesting because money is very different in Japan um, in terms of what the value of the yen is there. Like that 10 million yen would get you a mansion. But it was just kind of interesting to me to see how different wealth was distributed. Yeah, the translation the, in the game is dollars. 10 yeah, they say ten million dollars in the game. Oh, interesting. So then Which the is anime a lot is of money. different. That makes it a lot different. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Understood. I was like a little surprised. I actually made that a whole point to talk about was. Would you really murder for ninety three thousand dollars? <laughs> I was like, "That's all right." Ten <laughs> million dollars? Yeah. Yeah, there we <laughs> that go. That is a viable motive. That's funny. <laughs> I didn't know. Wow. Huh. is standing there, and he says, "Like, oh, that's not nearly enough." Your beauty is beyond compare, with golden locks and skin so fair. And I think (laughs) his, I think Byakuya, we learned maybe from his free time events that his like personal net worth is like four billion. (laughs) So, wow, that's insane. (laughs) Yeah, so clearly 10 million. It's it's good, it's good recreational money, says Byakuya, (laughs) four billion dollars. Like, what an icon. I mean, the most three common reasons to murder are money, revenge, and love. And, yep. you know, like, Monokuma really nailed it by picking one. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny you say that because it's money, and then the revenge is Hifumi killing Taka. Yeah, yeah. true. And you could argue that Hifumi killed for love yeah. of Celeste. So really, we hit all three. <laughs> wow, really that's really cool. Um, I just have to mention also, out, um, after the motive is presented, um, there is a moment where it's like the next morning 
and you know they're all in the dining hall and then um genocide jill and biakia enter late and everyone was like what are you doing late and the genocide jill is like do i even have to tell you i'll just tell you i'm wearing red lingerie right now and i was like <laughs> whoa hold on confirmed <laughs> like confirmed i can't deny the relationship no you didn't deny it <laughs> i mean i she think was that, like mm. no i think that she was just saying that to to embarrass him like there's no way Byakuya was like actually indulging oh, her bet. there is a way <laughs> i think that they did but mm-hmm. what do you guys think let us know <laughs> yeah please let us well, know they also um show up in the gym together alone first and are later found in the anime investigating together and playing hide and seek so i think we have a lot of evidence the i think the the reason for that though is because toko was basically stalking him and like <laughs> i i one thing that was hilarious to me in this chapter was the moment when they described byakuya like sprinting out of the dining hall to like get away from toko and i just it's hilarious to imagine that man like running from somebody <laughs> i know oh my god i know because he he like walks coolly and then i just imagine him being like like looking behind him and then like walking faster can <laughs> you imagine like a naruto run i don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. someone we need to get an, an animator to make that we need to get someone to make byakuya doing the naruto run it's true make a gift of it. all right that's pretty much all i had for the motive um yeah it's money already... okay cool so for the actual murder we're gonna we're gonna walk this through because this is a really <laughs> confusing case um first time i played through it i was like what is going on like it was a very convoluted trial before we get to the murder i have one more thing and it's important that it's actually like a plot important plot point yeah go um for it. Byakuya, um, before the murder occurs, brings up the idea because so alter ego is stolen, and Byakuya mentions that he he introduces the idea that there is a traitor in the group. Um, that is something yes. that comes up. Um, also, I just, side note: um, late night bath is often used as like the code for like going to see alter ego, and Makoto is told this I think like twice in the game, and still. Every time is like a bath. Why would I want to take a bath right now? Like you idiot. <laughs> in the anime, Hiro is the person who gets him to the bathhouse. I think same both in the game. times. Yep. Same okay. In the game. Cool. And he, we we put a lot of crap on Hiro for being not very smart, but Hiro is an incredible actor. Like he goes into playing along in a snap. Like I would honestly call him the best actor in the group like when they um are discovered by monokum outside the bathhouse and monokum is like what's going on like what are you guys doing in there hero jumps into a lie and i don't think we give him enough credit for how well he's able to do that in the game it's so it's actually i'm pretty sure it's celeste who brings up that lie who's like when monokum was like what were you doing in there or no it's um maybe it's an, a different moment because it's when um they're all coming out of the bathhouse like very happy about like the progress they've made with alter ego or whatever and um monokuma's like what's what's this like what are you all so pleased about and celeste is the one who then says oh it's um it's because the girls like we want a rock paper scissors match to get to take a girl's bath first or something so but yeah yeah, you you might be right he's like instantly in it for someone who we consider to not be super smart he does not go what are you talking about we weren't right. playing rock paper scissors he's like yeah we lost oh we're so bummed you know like he <laughs> yeah I gotta makoto give is the one who is lost <laughs> oh fool 
Yeah. <laughs> um. So, Marin, do you want to walk us through like the like events? Absolutely. Briefly? So I'm going to talk about it, how the actual murder happened, um, because not like how the murder was presented. Um, so Taka is killed by Hifumi long before we hear anything. All right. So Taka's dead. Then um, Hina finds Celeste attacked with Justice Hammer number one. Then you find Hifumi in the library attacked by Justice Hammer number two. Then Celeste screams from the second floor and people like run up and grab her and you can stop me if I ever get this messed up but um she run or she screams everyone runs up then Hifumi screams from the nurse's room and he is attacked by Justice Hammer number three um and that's when you hear the first body announcement all right so the group is split into two groups the group finds um Hifumi but the body announcement is actually for Taka, who was dead a long time ago with Justice Hammer number four in the Arts and Crafts Supplies Room, right? So then after that is found, um, they kind of split up. Hina gets a stomach ache. Celeste goes and takes Hina to the bathroom. And Makoda goes to warn everyone that Hifumi is dead. And then he sees Taka, right? Then the bodies disappear and they have to find them. And when they find Hifumi again, he is still alive. Um, and he says a few words. He says, I met everyone before I'd met everyone here. And then he says, Yasuhiro. And once he says that, he dies and a second body announcement is heard. So that's kind of the whole case. It's a very confusing case. I remember when I first played through this, this was actually my least favorite case of the first game because it was so convoluted. Like it was like they tried to add so many parts so that it was hard to keep track of. That's at least how it felt for me when I played. Yeah, I think the second time I went through it um, for this, I like it a little bit more, but it's still probably my least favorite case. Yeah. I think so one thing that, yeah. one question that I came up with when I was replaying this game um, is that I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the rule in place saying that you can't murder more than two people. Technically, Hifumi killed Taka, and then Celeste killed Hifumi, right? Theoretically, I mean, I'm not saying she would have. I don't think this would have benefited her at all. But Celeste technically could have killed a third person and wouldn't have been breaking the rule. And to me, that is, like, interesting because um, there is, I think everyone kind of makes the assumption, especially it stands out to me with Byakuya, reminding everyone, hey, like, there's a rule that you can't kill more than two people. So clearly another murder isn't going to happen after they find Taka and Hifumi. But, like, that is going off of the assumption that they were killed by the same person, which we later find out that they weren't. And so one thing that I wonder is like, you know, technically Celeste could have killed someone else and it, it, a third murder would very well have been possible. So the reason I think that she didn't kill two people, um, and I think you, you already know um, why she didn't kill, but um, I think it would be because a third murder would prove that there were two people involved. Um, and so that would give away a huge part of the case that debatably was left to be seen at the beginning you know um at the beginning they thought wow it's one murderer who killed both Taka and Hifumi um and Celeste isn't going to you know prove that Hifumi was involved because that that would hurt and then also every murder leaves new evidence like the idea of a perfect murder is almost impossible I mean it is so so hard to do that um especially if they had had like 
fingerprint kits and stuff like that. But even in their situation, that is so challenging and you don't want to leave any more evidence than necessary. I completely agree. I mean, some of these Danganronpa cases make me think like, wow, like, why did they make it so complicated? Because in some ways, arguably, like, the simpler the murder, the better, because the more complex parts you put into it, the more evidence you leave behind and the more room there is for error. So I absolutely right. agree that she would not have killed a third person. But it, it was interesting for me to bring up because, um, because of when Byakuya leaves Toko in the room after she's passed out and they run back down to see Hifumi. Um, then everyone gets mad at Byakuya being like, wait, why did you leave Toko there? Like, you just left her. What if she had gotten murdered? like instead and then he was like relax like you can only kill two people maximum toko wouldn't have gotten killed she wasn't in any danger because a third murder wouldn't have been allowed technically that that turned out to not be true so it did but like for the reasons i'm saying i think byakuya probably knew like exactly what i'm saying that the murderer isn't going to do a third murder whether they had an accomplice who did like the other murder or not it would make it abundantly more clear you know you're taking away a suspect if you kill another person and so i think byakuya was confident in saying that whether it was right or wrong because he is able to really think kind of like a sociopath and like he (laughs) knows the right way to do this and i yeah so that's why i think he was so confident in leaving her there you know like she really wasn't in danger. Like there were three people in both rooms where she was at. And like, yeah, I don't think there was any danger for Toko. All right. So we're going to get into some more of the investigation trial post-trial after the break. We just want to take this moment to remind you all that, you know, if you have questions that you want us to answer, or if you have comments, do you agree with our point about that Celeste could have murdered two people. Should she have? What are your general thoughts on case three? Is it one of your favorites or is it one of your least favorites? Let us know. Um, you can join our Facebook group, Ultra Hope Girls, a Dangarompa podcast. We It's a private group and we have a lot of conversation going on there. So make sure you're part of that little family. We also want to hear your voices and add you all into our podcast. So if you look at the link in your podcast description, you can actually leave a voice message Um, at anchor.fm and that way you can be included on our podcast and you can ask a question and yeah so we will see you after the break Hey guys, before we take our break, I just wanted to come on here and let you know that we have actually been able to start a Patreon. Thanks to you all, our first month has been incredibly successful and we're so thankful to have you guys as listeners because we're just three friends who are really passionate about Danganronpa and we are so glad that we are actually able to create content for you guys. So if you are able to support us financially, we would so appreciate it. And our Patreon subscriptions come with some awesome perks. So we're going to talk to you about those right now. So the first option for donations is $2 a month, and that makes you a reserve course donor. And this will actually give you some early access to some of our episodes, as well as some Patreon-exclusive extras, including bloopers from our podcast, um, possibly some deleted scenes that we had to cut for time, silly videos that we've made, including reactions to us playing the games, and more. If you donate $5 per month, you are a first-year student donor. And in addition to all of the things that Maddie said, you will also get added to a patrons-only Discord server. Um, You will have double entries in any future giveaways that we do, and you will receive a free MP3 of our music. 
All right, so at $10 a month, you are the ultimate donor. That means you are a super high school level donor. And these donors, in addition to everything that has just been said, you also get to be part of Caroline's book club via Zoom. So that means book club with the IRL high school literary girl. And you also get to have live Discord chats with us and get to hang out. And it'll be super fun. Maybe we could play some of the games together. Maybe have fun like Jackbox game nights. It'll be really fun. So the money that you would be donating would help us be able to create more content for you guys. We'll be able to go to conventions and meet you guys, create merch, and maybe have more special guests on our podcast. So thank you very much in advance. And we're so glad to have you guys as listeners. And we can't wait to have you as supporters as well. Hey guys, welcome back. So I just wanted to jump in here and say, you know, again, I am playing the game through for the first time. And so I have actually not experienced any any of these cases through the game before. I've only watched the anime. And this is a case that I thought translated incredibly well to the anime format. Whereas I do not think it bodes as well in the game. Um, And I think this is likely going to be the only case that I feel about this um, because there is so much going on that in the visual novel style, it just gets confusing. (laughs) I get lost and there was a lot going on. Whereas in the medium of like a film, it was a little bit easier to follow what was happening. Um, And I think the trial, in my opinion, flows better in the anime because a big thing about this trial that I think really makes it different from all of the others um, so far is that it is really a lot of it is focused on the words and the circumstances rather than evidence itself. And so a lot of like the gameplay for this trial is absorbing truth bullets rather than creating your own truth bullets. Um, And it's cutting through lies and cutting through bluff, which makes sense because the, you know, murderer is the (laughs) That's (laughs) really um, true. (laughs) Yeah, I just think that that's interesting. Like for me, at least, I think the anime did a better job um, portraying this. And I think the medium of film period was just better in telling that story. I agree, actually. Um, I had a, I mean, I I said it before, but I had a much better time the second time through, which was through anime, um, not through gameplay. Um, Yeah, I remember this case, like, I kind of just wanted to be done with it when I was playing the game. And I I hate saying that because this content is so good. But the anime, I, I completely agree, portrayed it in a much easier way to understand. For me, like, there were a few things that I don't want to say necessarily that it was predictable because I, I don't, I think in a way it wasn't because Danganronpa kind of catches you with sometimes something is easier to predict and sometimes it's not. So it's not like you can really predict always how it's going to go. But for me, there were a couple like, um, there were a couple things that stood out to me as like, I don't know if you guys feel the same way that I do, but like major, major flaws in Celeste's plan. Like for me, this was far from being a foolproof plan maybe her biggest mistake was trusting like teaming up with Hifumi and trusting him to do anything right <laughs> I mean she even says that she says she, like she when does she's discovered she says my biggest mistake was trusting someone else and I, I, I can't say she's wrong you know yeah but like there are a lot of things I mean like the fact that the second they find Hiro in the suit and realize that he can't bend at the waist he can't take the suit on or put it or he can't take the suit off or put it on himself the second they realize that the rest of the things that that suspicious strange costumed person was supposed to do become impossible like he couldn't have moved the bodies he couldn't have done all that stuff and so then it makes it obvious that it was her like 
in on it because she was the one who kept screaming that she saw the costumed man running around and it immediately just it immediately reveals her to me at least also Hifumi implicates himself um when they have breakfast one of the days um celeste is like we should just adapt like this is so fine and everyone's like no it's not and she's like what could you possibly miss from the outside world and it's Hifumi who says obviously i miss my 2d and he lists a bunch of um, names of shows and one of them is robo justice the galactic king which is who the um suit is based off of there's no real translation to any real animes they think it might be off of mobile suit gundam that anime um but there's no proof of that but um he implicates himself by admitting that one of the things he misses most is the suit that shows up in the following murder and it's like i think you're right maddie that trusting hifumi and bringing him into this really hurt them in the end yeah i also think a big oversight with Celeste and the reason why I was like, even when I watched the anime, I was like, it's Celeste, obviously, is because she is literally one involved in every second of this thing. Like, it is so obvious it is her. She is always hovering and always like doing something to move it forward. She's always the one that, like, she's the one who suggested they split up. She's the one who suggested they, you know, search the school. Every time there's a scream, it's her, except that one time it was Hifumi. And like... <laughs> And she, in the trial, it's like, if she just played it cool, like she usually did, she could have probably gotten away with it. But she, like, kind of screwed herself over with her own, like, attempt to bluff because she was acting like the rest of them when this whole game, she has not acted like the rest of them. Yeah, I, oh, go ahead, Manny. And and just one, it's just a small thing, but, like, one thing that I think, like, kind of sealed her fate, too, was, at least in the game, she, like, is really insistent during the trial that various pieces of evidence aren't true. She's like, oh, no, that's just not possible. Or like, oh, you think Hifumi like was playing dead the first time? No, there's no way. Like she just downright refutes everything, but without good reasons. And I, I she isn't usually that person who was just standing there saying, oh no, that's not possible. And I, I, that I think kind of was a problem for her as well. Yes, I agree. Um, She said, I wrote down a bunch of her quotes. She said, this is the only possibility. It is most assuredly this. She says that so much. And it's interesting because Celeste, I think that's her tell. I think her involving herself more is her tell. And it's really interesting because that is my tell when I play games, um, is that I start participating more in the conversation. Like I have to be involved because I want to make sure I can control it, but it actually ends up implicating me more. Yeah. So very interesting. it's funny you say, you say that because, so I, you know, traditionally now at this point, I've tried to pick a quote that kind of sums up the whole case, the whole trial, in my opinion, obviously the one, there were a lot that I could have gone with, honestly, for this one, there were a lot of quotes that were really powerful. The one that I went with, because I think it's the thing that screwed her over the most, she says, isn't it terrifying how different our values are? There's simply no room for understanding. And the reason why I picked that is as an actor, one of the things you learn when you are pretending to be someone else, which is her, she is like this whole thing, her bluff is to like act like the rest of them when a murder happens, like she's freaking out. She doesn't understand why they feel that way. And because mm-hmm. she doesn't sympathize with them, she can't effectively act like them because it's not realistic because it's fabricated. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's, wow. yeah. That's really good. I like that quote. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Also, slightly changing the tone of the conversation for one second, but it was so essential that I mentioned this. 
This is a big continuity error for the game I'm actually about to say. So during the trial, Makoto, full on talking out loud, mentions alter ego in the trial in front of Monokuma. And I'd have to look up the quote, but it was like an argument against something. And then at the end of the trial, Monokuma's like, what are you talking about? Like, and it's like, game writers, what are you doing? Okay, but I will say, I was watching Monokuma in the trial, and at one point he's asleep because it's boring to him. So that might be how they're trying to play it off. Um, (laughs) Two, this is just an add-on. He, at one point, is eating pancakes and using the Mondo butter. (laughs) And I was so shook. I was like, nobody's even noticing this. He is eating their friend. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it was so disturbing. Oh my god. Wait, but I hear you, Caroline, because I, that actually, I took a note on that too. There's a one moment when they are openly talking about alter ego in the cafeteria. And it's like, they're not supposed to talk about it there. And then later on in the game, they someone tries to bring it up in the cafeteria and Kyoko's like, not here he can hear us. And it's like, well, before you were just, <laughs> but Marion, oh my goodness. I think, is that only in the anime or is that in the game too? Because I never noticed that with Monokuma eating. The- yeah. I only noticed it in the anime. I didn't notice it in the game. So it might be an only anime thing, but I was so shook. I was like, no one's reacting to that. <laughs> it's <was> so funny. <laughs> Monokuma's just doing his own thing. I can't he believe it's not that. Ondo Butter. Maddie, you need to make that a meme right now. <laughs> I will do it. I will get on it. Thank That's goodness. so funny. That should be our case three meme. Oh yes. my goodness. I love yes. that. <laughs> yep. Um, so other thoughts? Yeah, I have two more thoughts. Um, one is about how she changes her name. Um, I think that's a really important part of the trial. Um, and I did some research. Um, that's going to be like my quote. I did some research, <laughs> um, but the idea of changing your name and really Celeste's whole personality, she emulates European culture. Um, and you can find out through free time events that her father, um, her father is German and her mother is French, um, or at least that's how she tells people they are. Um, and she really hides behind European culture, which is actually a kind of typical Japanese thing to my understanding. Uh, I read an article by Nala L. Shekshaki um, who wrote an article called Paris Syndrome. And it is about how Japanese um, people and in the Japanese culture, they really appreciate um, European values. Um, They appreciate the German work ethic and political goals and having an opinion and working towards things that you want to achieve. Um, And all French items really um, are associated with luxury and class and refinement. And that to me is Celeste. She is trying so hard to become someone who has wealth and power. And so she hides behind a European name, um, German Ludenberg is German. And I think that's really interesting and almost sad that she's not able to do that through her own culture. We're all shook. <laughs> we all were like, wow. Yeah. And you're right. You call it yeah. Paris syndrome? Yeah, that, that was the name of the article. I've never heard of that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was super interesting. And it's kind of like the idea that a lot of people, um, a lot of Japanese people, and this is obviously um, more of a blanket statement than every uh, Japanese person, obviously, but um, a lot of Japanese people like to go 
to Paris. And then when they get there, they're a little disappointed because Paris is a cool city. It's beautiful, but it's got like, it's not the cleanest city, you know, like in the article, she describes it as an ashtray in the beautiful country of France. And like, that is a strong statement, but I think it kind of is really an interesting take on this case because Celeste is trying so hard to emulate these values. And when she finally gets to it, like when she finally like starts to achieve, she realizes that it's not really all that it, she thought it might be. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. I, yeah. And it makes you wonder, like if she really had achieved this dream of living in a European castle and having all her vampire butlers, <laughs> would, <laughs> would she have really been satisfied? Cause right. I think there is something to say for the fact that like, you know, we as human beings, I think we often pursue goals so relentlessly. And, but once we achieve them, we're never satisfied. Like there still has to be more, more, more. Um, the only uh, other thing I have about that and about like the Paris syndrome is she says a quote, she says, I'll be reborn as Marie Antoinette um, yeah. when she's about to be executed, um, who is quite literally, people call her the symbol of the monarchy's excessiveness. That is literally what she's known for. And like that is Celeste. And before uh, Marie Antoinette's execution, she says two things. And this is written in history, so it is true. She <laughs> says in a letter to her sister, um, Elizabeth, she says, I am calm as people whose conscience is clear. And I think that that's really similar to how Celeste views her execution. She doesn't seem really troubled by what she did really at all, I don't think. And then the other quote is to the priest who told Marie Antoinette to have courage. She says, courage? The moment when my ills are going to end is not the moment when courage is going to fail me. And I just, the parallels between the two of them are incredible to me. So, I mean, I can, can I have a connection to that as well, having to do with her execution. Ooh. Uh, so Marie Antoinette, I believe, I actually did not really research this before this episode. I just thought of this. So please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm almost positive she was beheaded. She was not burned at the stake. So yes. let's think for a second. Who is burned at the stake? We have the Salem Witch Trials and we have Joan of Arc, which is mm -hmm. a very interesting set of people to associate with this. So we see her burning at the stake in the place of Marie Antoinette, but she doesn't get the ending that Marie Antoinette did. She gets the ending that Joan of Arc and that the Salem Witch Trial folks did. Folks, oh my God. <laughs> uh, <anyway. laughs> but, um, and that's, something that is notable about like why Joan of Arc and these other women were killed is like a lot of the time these were women who were like rising above their you know expectation as women and they were like breaking roles of gender boundaries and I think Celeste 100% feminist icon out here like gambling in a male dominated I mean I think objectively speaking male dominated like profession is mm -hmm. crushing these guys you know, she kills two men. That, I think, isn't a coincidence either. And so <laughs> I think that's, like, you know, her burning at the stake, I think, is also a representation of, like, how she is turning the tables for women in society. So the last thing I noticed about the uh, execution is that the castle in the background, to me, looked a lot like paper. Um, and so I thought it was interesting that she was burned alive because it felt a little symbolic, like maybe her dreams were kind of going up in flames along with her in her death. Um, that could be reading too much into it because I think it's kind of the way that they 
style the executions, like their um, design pattern. But I did think it was an interesting like take on it. Yeah, definitely. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that is like the fra- the fragility of those dreams. Really, it's lots mm. of metaphors to be found here in Dangarampa. <laughs> um, I wanted to going off of that, like talk about a, a little bit about her execution. I know this is jumping forward a little bit, but I just wanted to bring it up because I found this really cool thread on Reddit called murder math and if you google danganronpa murder math you can find it it'll come up on reddit and it's these people doing all these crazy calculations of like physics and math and all these things to figure out like the damage that would have been done during each character's execution like i mean there's one for monda where someone is estimating the width of the steel beams around the the murder cage and how much voltage an industrial generator could create and you know determining how what effect that would have on him or whatever apparently according to them mondo should have survived his execution but i don't know about that but um yeah celeste according to them celeste did not burn alive thankfully which would have been awful but she got killed by getting hit by that fire truck but um if it makes anyone feel better it definitely makes me feel better (laughs) that leon's execution um he would have died within like pretty much the first second of the baseballs firing like right out his chest and the rest was all overkill so he wouldn't have actually suffered for as long as it seemed so that at least makes me feel better but it's just something interesting I thought I'd bring up and throw in there if anyone's interested in in looking into it more google it and read up on it because it is kind of a cool read oh Leon (laughs) um I had two kind of things that I thought were just interesting to note and then um yeah the first thing that I thought was interesting to note is that this is technically I mean unless you count Sayaka's plan which didn't go through this is technically the first real like planned murder in the game that was done in cold blood like Leon was like provoked into it he wasn't planning on that he was attacked first and then went for it um and then Mondo you know didn't have a plan either he kind of murdered out of rage and then tried to cover it up and so this is really kind of the the first time that there's like a cold-blooded murder that we need to solve yeah Yeah. i would definitely call leon's murder cold-blooded because he didn't have to do it but i do think this is the first premeditated murder that's true yeah maybe that's a better word for it like yeah it's the first time that someone has planned and carried through a murder yeah no kidding the other thing that i i thought was interesting and i don't know how it sit like if it sit well with me was how quickly celeste broke character in the trial at least in the game it felt like it happened really fast once she was accused and she was like I I, yeah I think it's really just mere moments after Makoto says her name and says Celeste was it you that she starts getting really flustered and her accent starts going away and she like kind of loses her composure kind of quickly I mean I think I so I think of the idea of like she seems like somebody who would rather not try than fail. She's not used to losing and she mm-hmm. lost. And I think she's just like, all right, that's it. I, I, I don't think it fell out of character for me. I think that losing is unfamiliar. Yeah. And that was gotcha. how she dealt with it. So then- another thing I had um, when they first meet AI, um, the alter ego, when they walk out of the shower room and Monokuma is there and he's like why are you guys so happy and all that and they're like oh you could go peek on the girls while they bathe Makoto says no and he says quote I'm not sure a real man's fantasy should be about spying on girls and stuff it should be more about your hopes or your dreams of adventure or whatever and that 
is Chihiro. Like that is exactly what we were trying to encompass last time is that being a real man is about your dreams and your goals. And I think Makoto nailed it when he said that. Yep. You're right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, I like that a lot. I have one last note and it is a question that I'd be interested to hear your guys' thoughts on. Um, and it is the fact that, so I, I guess the build up to it is that um, there's a quote from Celeste that I have that says, are you asking me to feel guilty? That's a pointless endeavor. I think nothing of sacrificing others for my own ends. I feel nothing. That's all there is to me. That's what makes me complete. And that is after she has been found out, like right before she's about to be executed. And that is like, yeah, those words are kind of chilling almost, but I I actually don't know if they're completely true. I mean, we know she's a liar, but um, because there is reason to believe that Celeste might care about them after all, at least after she accepts that she lost, she gives the locker key to Kyoko so they can get Alter Ego back. Right. Um, and she even, she even says um, that she didn't view Alter Ego as hope. She was right, like, yeah. I saw, yeah, I saw you guys all did, but that to me was nothing. And yeah. That, yeah. And, and that quote, leads into my question actually the very oh, quote awesome. you're talking yeah. about is my question is so her quote and i will quote it as carefully as i can when she talks about the key and getting alter ego back mm-hmm. she says will it really give you the hope you're looking for i can't say i ever saw it that way which is why actually it's not important and then her, she stops there and i wonder what was she about to say because she says which is why dot 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 actually it's not important and she never finishes her thought I honestly think it's kind of just explaining why she committed murder. Like, I think she was saying, like, you guys saw that as a point of hope, but is it actually hope? Like, is that actually going to give you what you want? Like, I didn't think so. And that's why I committed murder is kind of the thought that I had she might have continued on with. But I mean, she's the queen of not letting anyone in. And so even in death, she's keeping up that shield. It is interesting, though, because like, I don't know if she she does keep up that shield, but I think Makoto thinks to himself, like, I think it's Hina who asks her, like, aren't you scared? You don't seem scared at all, like you're about to die. And Celeste says, I'm such a good liar, I can lie even to my own emotions. I'd like, like to bring you back to the Marie Antoinette quote of courage. The moment when my ills are going to end is not the moment when courage is going to fail me. Yep. Yeah. She is literally her. <laughs> I know, man. I mean, yeah, I think she, in that moment, I think it's kind of like, that's why she decided to do this murder now. Like, I think that because this thing that they all, I mean, mostly all of them were like, oh my God, this is great. This is like a breakthrough. And she was like, "Mm, I don't know y'all. I think we're still trapped. So this is the time because hope is high. This is the time when I could get away with it. Right. Yeah, I agree. So the rest of my notes are just um, recapping what happens um, post-trial in this chapter. Are we good if I just summarize real quick? Yeah, go into it. So after, you know, Kyoko gets the key to the locker and they find Alter Ego, woot woot. <laughs> um, and then she, Kyoko takes a moment where she, you know, lets down a wall and Makoto is now, she, she trusts him a little bit mm-hmm. um, and, and gives him the information to check the boy's bathroom on I think the second floor and that behind the wall there is a secret room which he finds he begins to look through 
a um, like a binder and a paper falls out and it says, um, what does it say? I forgot. You must not leave this place. Great. Yes. He sees that and then somebody masked behind him knocks him out, steals everything. And when he wakes up, it's all gone. And so there's nothing to find. So in his sort of haze of being hit in the head, he um, walks downstairs and he hears something from the gym and it turns out to be um, Sakura and Monokuma fighting and it is very very heavily implied that she could be the traitor yeah i don't so, think we get to hear the conversation yet um yeah but, um, i mean a meeting one-on-one with monokuma can't look good we, we do hear a little bit of a conversation there he yeah it's like um, monokuma mentions like don't forget about what i'm holding hostage oh yeah. which that i think that means in the anime it's different um because i don't Think, I mean, maybe I missed it, um, but that's interesting that they don't give you that little piece in in the anime. All right. I think that just about wraps up this case. But um, what about bed with the head? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So we normally do the dead. So should we do uh, Taka, Hifumi, and Celeste? What a crowd. <laughs> what a trio. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> All right. Who wants to start? I can. I'd be head Hifumi because... Yep. That goes without yep. saying. Oh, he is, we literally had him in the last one. That poor guy. Wow. Yeah, we, there's going to be some like. include him in these. <laughs> there's going to be some like strong Hufumi stands that are going like, to listen and be like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor oh. Hufumi. It's okay. It's just our opinion, you guys. You're valid and you can have your own opinions. We are yes. not fans of Hufumi. Um, Hufumi, the head. I would bed Taka. And I would wed mm. Celeste because Celeste would treat me like a queen and I would treat her like a queen and we'd have vampire butlers in Ooh. our castle together. And since, so, yeah, yep, yep. I think I would pick the same answers um, because Taka, I mean, I get him um, and I like his loyalty, but I think it would be exhausting to try and be with someone who could not budge on some issues. Like, yeah, I would need someone who's more flexible. Wink. <laughs> but, um i actually have the exact same answer as you do i feel like this, this is one... the first time we've all agreed yeah it is yeah i mean like hifumi just uh, no i'm sorry to all the hifumi fans out there but like <laughs> this chapter i gotta tell you when he died i was like oh finally <laughs> i thought i thought he was gonna be like one of the first people to die but no they kept him around for three whole chapters um <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being cruel, but um, behead Hifumi, I would bed Taka and wed Celeste just because I could not be married to Taka. And yeah. Celeste is great. She's cool, even though she's, you know, uh, very manipulative. If you are a Hifumi fan and you'd, uh, you'd like to let us know why you're a Hifumi fan, we'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page. You can join our private group and like our page, and you can find us on Amino at Ultra Hope Girls Pod. Um, you can also send us some voice recordings of questions through anchor.fm if you'd like your voice to be featured in an episode or just write out a question on our Facebook page and uh, we'll, we'll try and include it in a future episode. Um, but thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this, uh, this podcast and we'll see you next week. <laughs>